Warning, Damien Andrews' growing revenue and profit, if implemented, will put more money in your pocket. Please use with caution. Welcome to Damien Andrews' Growing Revenue and Profit with international speaker and revenue and growth specialist, Damien Andrews. This is your source for practical, usable, and simple action steps that you can do every day to put more money in your pocket. And now, the host of Damien Andrews' Growing Revenue and Profit, Damien Andrews. And the crowd cheers wildly to the trumpeting blasts of elephants sliding through eyes of needles. This is Damien Andrews Growing Revenue and Profit, the program that deals with all things that puts more money in your pocket. This is the show that handles your revenue riddles, your profit puzzles, operational oddities and culture conundrums. I am the one, the only Damien Andrews and today we are here talking about innovation. Now, I've done extensive study on innovation, and it, innovation is something that I'm actually very passionate about, and that's probably because I hate wasting time. I don't like things to take longer than they absolutely necessarily have to take. And to say that I'm a bit anally retentive about this is an understatement. Um, I'll stack my dishes in the dishwasher in a way that I can unpack it more, uh, much easier. Uh, I hang my clothes out on the line to dry in a way that makes it easier to fold them. And I even spent time analysing how I made my bed to make it more efficient. So to say that I, I focus a lot on innovation and how to make things more efficient is an understatement. But generally, when we think about innovation, uh, there's a lot of amazing people who have created huge businesses using innovation. Think of Steve Jobs and Mark Zuckerberg, Elon Musk, they come to mind. Um, and when we're thinking about those people, there are key things that they get known for. And that becomes what innovation is perceived as. For example, you know, Steve Jobs reinvented the iPhone, Elon Musk um, creating electric cars and SpaceX. Um, they're big innovations and they overshadow all the little innovations that are required to get to that point. And this episode brings us back to what all those little innovations are and what they need to be to stay ahead of your competition. I mean, in most businesses that I see, they don't have an innovation strategy or systems in place. Usually, it's when something goes wrong that when many businesses look to fix a problem, uh, i.e. they'll innovate to solve the issue. Unfortunately, in some cases, they've incur incurred a huge cost that could have been avoided. Now, to help you be able to innovate, I also created a detailed education showing how you can do it. Now, I've made that freely available, and it's called Innovation Genius, and you can access it um, immediately uh, if you go to my website and, and visit the media page uh, at 
www.damianandrews.com and just go to the media page. You'll find Innovation Genius there. It's a free education available that takes you step by step through how to innovate successfully. But let's move on with the show. Let's look a little bit more detail at what innovation is. Well, to innovate means to introduce something new or to make changes in something established. And by definition, that would appear innovation is a natural occurrence. I mean, look at nature. It's constantly evolving, growing, and changing. Every day we wake up to weather throughout the day that's different from before. In business, innovation can be material improvements to existing products or processes. This could be as simple as rearranging the manufacturing floor in a manner that reduces the distance which goods travel. It can also be disrupted in innovations such as Apple's App Store, which effectively removed the need for um, to have CDs because the software used to be available on CDs and you put in your computer and your computer updates, that kind of thing. With Apple's App Store, those uh, software is now automatically downloaded. Well, a lot of cases it's automatically downloaded, but it's also available to purchase. So we don't need to have these CDs. It's, it creates that innovation, sped up the time frame in which we got the software and also reduced the cost. Uh, innovation can occur when we create something with our customers as well. It can also can occur when we combine unrelated things or new ideas in a different way. Now, the ability to innovate might appear to be a natural talent, but it's not. It's a skill that you can develop. If you've ever solved the problem in your life, then you've innovated. And research in neuroscience, psychology, and behavioral economics reveals that humans are highly efficient, fast, reflective thinkers who seeks, seek to confirm what we already know. Our thinking is limited to our tendency to rationalize information that contradicts our beliefs. Basically, we don't like anything that goes against what our beliefs are. In our day-to-day -day lives, we're not critical or innovative thinkers, and that's because it's, not inefic it's inefficient to think that way. If we had to think through everything we did, it would take a lot of energy. So we seek to um, we seek to our identity and to the things that align with our identity, and we ignore information that would move us from our thinking to a much higher level. And this is why people don't generally innovate because it's not efficient to do so. Um, and so to do this, we let go of our self-image to be able to do that, and. That's where we enter this place of uh, fear, because we're moving into the unknown. And it's hard for us to move into the unknown, which is why we don't innovate. So rationally, it makes sense to innovate. And it's only logical that if we don't grow and move forward, then we'll get left behind and our competitors will surpass us. But as humans, we're emotional, we fear failure, we fear looking bad, and we fear uh, losing our job. Um, if that leads us, and that leads us to defensive reasoning. We deny, we deflect information to ward off challenges to who we are and our view of the world. And we've been conditioned by our education system and most of the environments that we have taught us is that good performance means avoiding failure. So that means not making mistakes and uh, 
as you can see logically, <laughs> if you're going to innovate, you're going to make mistakes, you're certainly going to fail a number of times before you get to where you're going. And we're taught not to do that by our education system. So all of this stacks up against our ability to innovate um, as innovation requires that there are failures before the ultimate result is achieved. Innovation requires a willingness to fail to learn. So sometimes when you innovate, you'll make mistakes. And it's best to admit them quickly and then get on with improving your other innovations. To innovate, a person must simultaneously tolerate mistakes and insist on operational excellence. Now this is a dual this is a dual mentality that is very difficult to implement. However, when mistakes and failures are refined as a, as learning opportunities. So we're changing our thinking here. We're going, this is not a mistake, or this is not a failure. This is a learning opportunity, opportunity, and then a whole new world opens up for us. And this is what it this is what makes exceptional innovators. They have the confidence in themselves that they feel safe to dare. They give it a go. They're willing to, to try it. And, and if they fall on their face, big deal. They move forward again. They go, well, I learned from that and I move forward. And Steve Jobs was um, a great example of this. When the whole world was using room-sized computers, now this is, you know, when we think back about this, we don't really recognize that today when we look at how powerful our phone is. Our phone is more powerful than the computer they used to put people on the moon. Um, back then, computers were large, and Steve had this vision of creating a computer. Steve Jobs had a vision of creating a computer that could sit on your desk. Um, while everyone else was talking about CDs and using CDs um, that could play an hour of music, on a device the size of a lunchbox, this was your, your, your PlayStation, not PlayStation, your, your Sony Walkman, um, then Steve Jobs dreamed of putting an entire album into a little candy-sized pocket, anything in your pocket, a thousand songs in your pocket. And while the rest of the world was building ever smaller and lighter laptops, Steve Jobs decided that maybe we'd like tablets as well. And I do remember when the um, the iPad was first launched, it was mocked very much as just a, 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 a bunch of iPhones taped together. But uh, the iPad became one of the most successful products ever in history as, as far as how quickly they were adopted. So all of that is innovation. And, and you can learn to read the signals around you so you can position yourself and your company to flourish as the technological and market trends shake up the world around us. And obviously in today's world, in the year 2020, we're experiencing massive change. And it's really been interesting to watch how many people um, have innovated. And, and so what is the purpose of innovation? Well, when we think about this year, in a nutshell, it's survival and growth. I mean, and that's what innovation is really about. It's an evolution. You need to evolve to survive. And competition is hotter than it's ever been in history. And we either evolve or we cease to exist. History is littered with corpses of companies that have failed to understand the business they were in and adapt to competition. And if we go back to the 19th century, take an example of the giant rail companies um, at the, around the end of the 19th century, start of the 20th century. They failed to realize what industry they're in. 
and then they were unable to change to meet the market needs. You see, those companies thought they were in the rail industry, but they were in the transport industry. And as road transport evolved, um, it better serviced customers. And those customers switched to that service provider being road, and they stopped using rail. And at their peak, the rail companies, they dwarfed in size, revenue, um, market capitalization, they dwarfed the automakers. And the rail companies could have easily purchased companies like Ford and General Motors, could have bought them outright. Um, and such an acquisition would have been an innovation that breathed new life into those rail companies. But they didn't see that. They saw themselves as rail companies, not transport companies. And a lot of those companies eventually went broke. So competition in today's world comes from many different areas. Barriers to entry are reducing. Thus, it's much easier for other suppliers to enter our market. Uh, an example of this is the entrance of Tesla into the auto sector. Tesla is only a few years old compared to companies like General Motors and Ford. Yet today, Tesla is the most valuable um, car company on the planet. In only, a, I think it's about 12 years, Tesla's been operating, uh, and it's outmatched the market value of all the auto companies. Even in industries requiring significant capital, capital to start up, um, where competition is now becoming very fierce. And also, globalization is bringing many new players into the market. Overseas companies with very efficient processes continue to take up market share. Plus, as developing company countries mature, even more organizations are going to pop up. So you're going to have ever-increasing competition. Now, this is an opportunity for companies that innovate. Those maturing countries provide fertile markets for an innovative company to expand into. So customer expectations will continue to rise. And this is a natural function of the law of familiarity. When something is new, we find it exciting and we find it fresh. Then as time moves on, we want to, um, what we once found was special now seems bland. Naturally, we want more. Innovation provides a way to keep your products and services attractive to your customers. Now, technological advances can quickly render our products and services redundant. How many of you remember using a slide rule? I never used one, my dad used one. Um, many people today wouldn't know what a slide rule is. A lot of people do, but you know, you wouldn't certainly wouldn't pick it up. Calculators made the slide rule obsolete. And even today, how many people actually use calculators? We use spreadsheets and computers. Um, it happens again and again. How many of us today buy records? And I know there's people that do like the classic sound of records and, and that as well. My brother is in that category. He, he scratched a record just recently uh, and he's very upset with himself uh, because you can't fix it. Well, yeah, it's very difficult to fix. And even CDs today, we don't listen to CDs. Um, so as technology continuously advances, um, other products cease to be relevant. And also too, there's a changing workforce of demo workforce demographics is also on us as well. Um, diversity, 
will continue. I mean, re recruiters engaging people from all over the planet. We have virtual assistants that deal with things. Uh, do we enable us to utilize people from around the world? You have a number of different web portals where you can get online and find people with skills to help you. So that innovation of that demographic is where people are coming from to help with your um, get your work done is is massive. I mean, I personally have a number of virtual assistants which help me get things done, and it's it's it enables things to move forward a lot faster. So that's also changing as as we innovate. There's more help getting things done, more skills available. You you can actually grow and, and continue. So innovation will continue on that way. And that's the same from a working perspective, how we're working is changing rapidly as well. Certainly this year has caused a massive change into how things um, operate. There's a lot more working from home and many people are finding that fantastic. They're loving this environment. They're more efficient um, when they were working at home. Most people that I've spoken to, they love this environment of, of working at home because they're able, one, they're not traveling as much. They're able to get a lot more done and focused because they're not getting interrupted by so many different uh, people walking around the office. And also employers are loving it as well because most of the, the business owners I speak to, their staff are actually much more efficient. They're getting more done by working at home. And they're also saving a lot of money. I um, was recently speaking to one of the big banks and they're actually getting rid of a lot of their offices. They're getting rid of their office space because they're just not going to need it anymore. So how we work is changing as well. And, and with all this new competition coming in it, and changes, it puts pressure on business. Uh, standing still is no longer an option. Innovation is critical to stay, um, not just, it's critical to just stay alive, let alone move forward. You need to innovate to move forward, but you need to innovate just to, to stay alive in business. And I mean, when we think about that, I mean, generally the, 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 the attitude in the past has been protectionism. Okay, let's look after what we've got. Let's protect it as much as possible. Um, and it's not uncommon for people to try and, and protect their market. I mean, that's a natural thing to do. You want to look after your market. And they um, expend a lot of effort trying to erect barriers to entry and limit competition. Um, growth is pretty much an unstoppable force and focusing on protecting your own market over growth is pretty much the kiss of death. For example, um, this goes back to the 70s when the Hunt brothers, they were billionaires and they tried to corner the silver market and as a result, the silver market actually collapsed because what happened was they cornered all this, the, the silver, they owned a lot of the silver and as a result, the prices went up. People then innovated they found other metals and other ways of, of producing things so they didn't need the silver and as a result the silver price plummeted and they went broke. So the purpose of innovation is to keep growing, to keep moving forward and today it's stronger, uh, the competition is stronger than it's ever been, market barriers to entry are lower than ever in history and the markets are much more dynamic. So continual growth is necessary not just to stay uh, with the competition, but it's required to survive. So throughout history, innovation has been a constant for survival in business and businesses that adapt to this, this uh, world as it changes, they stay alive and they continue to grow. And those that don't,
they don't continue to be with us anymore. So make innovation part of how your business operates. It's critical for your survival and for your growth. All right, let's take a break and then we'll be back after that uh, for with a news article that I've got, a very exciting one for you. Large companies pay a lot of money to make continuous improvements so their revenue and profit grows. Now I've developed many of the tools that these companies use and I've seen how much money they spend to get access to these valuable resources. Now not everyone has the same high budget as these organizations, but I wanted to make a more economical version of this material available to you. So I created Baby Dragons. This is for people whose budget doesn't extend to $100,000 for the Breathing Fire program. Baby Dragons gives you all the fundamentals so you can immediately increase your revenue and profit. You and no more than five others will get one full day with me and then one-on-one -on -one support for the following three months. Now, Baby Dragons is for people who are serious about increasing their revenue and profit, but may not have the big budget of large organizations. There are no set dates. If it's right for you, I'll schedule my time around your needs. Baby Dragons costs $2,000 US. And if you'd like to learn more, email me at ask at damianandrews.com. Hello and welcome back uh, to our podcast dealing with innovation and, and how to use that. And the article that I've got for you is really, I find it, found it very exciting. There's a rat called Magawa. Magawa, if I spell that properly, Magawa, uh, awarded, he was awarded a prestigious gold medal for Colombian landmine detection. This is a rat we're talking about, not a, you know, a, a person that's labeled a rat, but a physical, uh, an animal, a rat. Um, so we say the, the article starts with, they get a bad rap, especially for being dirty. But one rat, rat redeemed his species on Friday by becoming the first rodent to receive a gold medal for his work in sniffing out unexploded landmines and saving countless lives in Cambodia. Now think about that from an innovation perspective. We've got, you know, looking for landmines and a rat. You don't normally put those together, but that, that's pretty cool. So Magawa, the so-called hero rat, was presented with a small blue collar and a mini gold medal by the British veterinary charity, the People's Dispensary for Sick Animals dispensary, PDSA, on Friday. Magawa's work directly saves lives and changes the lives of men, women, children who are, who are impacted by these landmines. Every discovery makes he makes reduces the risk of injury or death for the local people. The PDSA director, uh, Jan McLonmelon, said in the statement, we are thrilled to award him the PDSA's gold medal. The African giant pouch rat was trained to detect lines by Belgium-based charity APOBO. Sorry, I didn't look up that acronym, so I can't tell you what that is. Um, but again, think about that. From I mean, where where would you have got that um, that idea from? I mean, we're looking for landmines, and and let's how do we do that? Are we uh, what are the benefits of that? Why would you even consider a rat for that? Out of all the animals, maybe they watch Ratatouille. I, I don't know um, what the, the motivation was from. But using, oh, here we go. Using an excellent sense of smell and memory, Magua has discovered 39 landmines 
and 28 items of unexploded ordnance and can search an area the size of a tennis court in 30 minutes, something that would take a human team with a metal detector up to four days, the charity said. So think about that. When we're looking at it, we're going, okay, what's the problem we've got? We've got to search through um, areas where there's landmines and unexploded ordnance. How do we do that? And we've got, it's taking four days to search the area of um, the size of a tennis court. Now, I'm not sure the total area that is in trouble, but it sounds like that has these landmines. It sounds like it's a very large area. And certainly not just Cambodia, but there's probably many, many places around the world that have this problem. So 30, uh, four days for the size of a tennis court um, with a team of people, that's pretty, not only gonna, is it time consuming, but very expensive. And from an innovation perspective, my guess is that you know, someone, uh, rats do have a great sense of smell and a great memory as well. So someone's put two and two together and said, well, can we train? We can train other animals. You, um, you have dogs that sniff out. I know in um, Australia, when you travel from state to state, you can't take fruit. Uh, so there's dogs that sniff that out, but there's also drug dogs that sniff drugs as well. Um, why not train, uh, train a rat to do that? So someone had that, that um, sense of innovation. And unlike metal detectors, the article continues, the rats ignore scrap metal and only sniff out the explosives. So they're great advantage there because the rat's able to tell the difference between metal, because it has a different odor, to the explosive, making them fast and efficient landmine detectors. Um, it also trains the, the creature to detect tuberculosis. Well, that's an interesting one as well. That's slightly different from landmines, but um, uh, this not only saves lives, but in return, um, but returns a much needed safe land back to the communities as quickly and as cost effectively as possible. And, and that's where you're really looking at this from a, a, um, an innovation perspective. You're really looking at how do we do things much quicker? How do we save costs? And that's where a lot of innovation comes in by asking those questions. How do we, how do we, how can we do this quicker? What way can we arrange things to make it faster? Uh, what can we do that's gonna reduce costs? So it says it takes up to nine months to train um, rats like Magawa, uh, adding that it can the rat can live up to eight years. So nine months of training and then lives for eight years. I don't know if that includes the nine months, but certainly there's a long period of time that this rat ha is able to serve and provide that um, the finding those mines. And the creatures are light-footed, so they do not sit off the land. That's a good point. They <laughs> they don't sit off the landmines, and no rat has been harmed during the operation. So that's really. Um, Another benefit there when you're looking at it, you're going, well, why rats, why not dogs? Well, maybe dogs are a little bit heavier, and as a dog goes along, boom, it blows up, and it becomes um, uh, not very effective. Whereas from an innovation perspective, again, reducing cost, you blow up a lot of dogs, it's going to cost you a lot of money to train them. Whereas a rat, it's too light to set off the, um, the landmines, and it can live its eight years it, you know, very excitedly finding these, these landmines and unexploded ordnance. So it's estimated that there are 5 million landmines, 5 million landmines were laid in Cambodia during the internal conflicts um, of the Southeast Asian country between 1975 and 1998. So 5 million landmines. Well, let's let's go back to in this article. It's found 39. So we've got a lot of work ahead. It's five, uh, 39 landmines and, and 28 um, unexploded ordnance. And they're saying that 5 million landmines were, were laid. I'm not sure how many are left now, but certainly there's a lot of work for the rats to do. 
do uh, in solving the problem. And, I mean, when we take the other alternative, um, yeah, Magua can do it in 30 minutes, what would take a team four days. So this is really a great innovation that's going to help move things forward. So, um, and the, the last bit of the article mentions that uh, Princess, uh, Britain's Princess Diana raised the global profile of, of landmines in the campaign in South uh, African nation of Angolia in 1997 when she stepped through a live uh, minefield. That's uh, pretty impressive to have the courage to do that. And last year, her son Prince Harry walked in her mother's footsteps visiting the same Angolan community that is now free of landmines following her work. And obviously, yeah, landmines would be very, um, not very good for being able to use the land. So there's innovation at work there. Training a rat to find landmines because A, it's, um, it's light, it doesn't set off the landmines, it can do it much faster and can distinguish between the metal and the actual um, unexploded ordnance or the, the explosive part of the ordnance. It can, and it's a lot faster, um, uh, a lot cheaper to than a team of people to do the same thing. So what a great article. Um, our hero rat, Magua, or, uh, receiving a prestigious gold medal for finding Cambodian landmines. Fantastic work there and, and a great example of, of innovation at work in our world. All right, we're going to take a break and I will see you shortly on the other side of, of that break. Are you looking for an inspiring speaker with a different take on how to achieve success? I've spoken to audiences all around the world, showing them how procrastination doesn't exist how there are no positive or negative events, and that thinking that way can severely slow your success. Also, how to tap into your body's serotonin and dopamine to increase your own and your team's performance. And most of all, how to be happy every day, no matter what happens. If any of this is beneficial to you or your organization, contact me at ask at damianandrews.com to learn how you can engage me to speak at your next event. Hello and welcome back to Growing Revenue and Profit. Um, Damien Andrews, Growing Revenue and Profit. And now we're going on to our inspiring person. Who am I? I was born in Albuquerque, New Mexico on January 12th, 1964. My mother was a 17-year-old high school student when I was born and my father was a bike shop owner. My parents divorced shortly after and my mother married a Cuban immigrant in April 1968. Shortly after the wedding, I was officially adopted by my new stepfather. We moved to Houston, Texas and I attended Oaks River Elementary School um, from 4th to 6th grade. I often displayed scientific interests and technological proficiency and I once set up an electric alarm to keep my younger siblings out of my room. Yep, I can understand that. Uh, with a family, our family moved to uh, Miami, Florida, where I attended the Miami High School. Um, and then while I was at high school, I also worked at McDonald's as a short order line cook, serving the breakfast shift. I attended a student, student science training program um, at the University of Florida. In my graduation speech, I told the audience I dreamed of a day when mankind would colonize space. After I graduated from Princeton University in 1986, I was offered jobs at Intel, 
Bell Labs and Anderson Consulting, amongst others. But I refused that and instead I decided to work at Fitel, a financial telecommunications startup, where I was tasked with building a network for international trade. I was promoted to head of the department and a director of customer service thereafter. I transitioned into banking where I became a product manager for Bankers Trust and I worked there from 1988 to 1990. I then joined D.E. Shaw & Company, a newly found, founded hedge fund with a strong emphasis on mathematical modeling and in 1990, I, uh, oh, I started there in 1990 and I worked there until 1994. In late 1993, I decided to establish an online store. I left my job at DE Shaw and I founded my own company in my garage in on the 5th of July 1994. And after this was after I wrote its business plan on a cross-country drive from New York to Seattle. I originally named this my new company Cadabra, but later changed the name after naming it after a river in South America, in part because the name starts with the letter A, which is at the beginning of the alphabet. I accepted an estimated $300,000 from my parents and invested it in the company. And I also warned many early investors that there was a 70% chance that my company would fail or go bankrupt. Although my company was focused on books, I had always planned uh, to expand it to other products. And three years after I founded the company, I took it public with an initial public offering. In response to critical reports from Fortune and Barron's, I maintained that the growth of the internet would overtake competition from larger book retailers such as Borders and Barnes and Nobles. Barnes and Noble. In 1998, I diversified the business offerings into online sale of music and video, and by the end of the year, I'd expanded the company's products to include a variety of other consumer goods. The name of the company is, of course, Amazon, and I am Jeff Bezos. And I want to take you back through his history. There's a couple of points I highlighted here in that article. Um, when you're looking at this uh, consistency and, and innovation. Consistency is, is something, you know, wh where do we develop innovation from? It's obviously having an understanding of what we're dealing with to solve problems. And he, as he said, he just, well, it says here he displayed a scientific interest in technological proficiency from an early age. So he was, he was interested in technology. Um, and uh, we'll come to the colonization of space later, but he had a, a love of space and wanted to um, colonize space. And that comes back to his, um, launching of Blue Origin, a, a space company. But I want to point out too, when we're looking at Jeff Bezos and all the steps that he took, there seems to be a logical step through here. As he said, he decided instead of taking a job at Intel and Bell Labs and other very prominent established companies, which would you think would be the secure thing to do, he instead decided to work at Fitel, a financial telecommunications startup. Now think about that. This is a startup. Now it doesn't really explain as to you know, why he did that, but my guess would be, well, he had a plan back that he wanted to have a startup company. So he worked for a startup to get that experience. So not only was he able to innovate, but he, well, he was able to innovate because he understood the environment he was working in. Um, he also became a director of customer service, which was interesting because in any sort of innovation when you're working with people, you need to be able to 
handle people well. You need to be able to be able to understand what motivates them, what drives them. So he's spent time working in customer service and understanding not only um, the needs of of employees, but also the needs of the customers. So he's spent a fair bit of time there understanding how to serve, how to solve these problems. In customer service, no doubt, you get a lot of problems, you hear problems, and this is where you want to look at from an innovation perspective, is understand uh, what are the problems people are experiencing, because that's where you find the innovation. Uh, and then he also, he went to work for a newly founded hedge fund. And that's interesting when you think about that, because also, too, I mean, he must have had some idea that he wanted to grow this company. And, and well, he did. He, when he first started Amazon, he, he had a plan to expand that beyond um, just books. He wanted to go into the other areas. And so having that thought process and planning ahead, working for a, a hedge fund, not only that, a, a newly founded one. So there's a lot of innovation happening there, a lot of skills that he would have learned. So that was... Um, very interesting to look at from Jeff Bezos's perspective. It was it was like this is long-standing calculated plan where he's put in places, uh, learning the skills that he needs so that he can innovate. So he's un he's worked at a telecommunications startup to understand what startups about and the problems that they have. He's worked in customer service, understanding the problems of customers and and a hedge fund to be able to raise funds. Um, you know when you when you're talking about a company that after three years goes public. Uh, you know, he's obviously had a plan in place to achieve that because that's that doesn't just happen by luck. Uh, and I mean, you also face, and this is something all businesses or certainly people that stand out face, is there was a lot of critical reports as to what he was doing, as to how it was fail and won't work. So you know, and and he responded to that. Uh, and you know, he, then he's gone on. And to do other things, such as found Blue Origin, which is a, a human spaceflight startup. I mean, he's always had a love for space. And the other thing he did was he um, he purchased the, the Washington Post, and he's paid $250 million in cash uh, for the Washington Post, and then went through, the company was making losses, um, and it made losses, and this is something you really want to think of stepping outside of the innovation side of things. But from a business perspective, a lot of times we suffer optimism bias where we think things are going to happen much quicker than they do. Whereas, you know, when you look at, he bought the Washington Post in 2013, um, and it wasn't until 2016 that it actually made a profit. So he's carried that company making losses for three years before it um, became profitable. So just be mindful of that when you're certainly when you're innovating on, and even when you're just in in business planning things that things generally will take longer than you expect, um, and give yourself uh, the the security and protect yourself from the, the risks of that. Um, he's also got a lot of um, he has what's called Bezos expeditions where he um, invests in other ventures, and he was one of the first shareholders in Google. He invested $250,000 in Google in 1998. Um, and that investment has resulted in, um, uh, in, so that was 1998. In 2017, that investment was worth $3.1 billion. So $250,000 to $3.1 billion. I'm looking for the, the innovations. So Jeff Bezos, our Who Am I inspiring person. Certainly a lot of innovation there, a lot to learn from, from um 
from a, a business perspective and looking for how to move forward and but also to keep in mind look at the the, the strategy that he had it wasn't something that he just expected suddenly to happen to innovate it was something that he did all the way through um, so Jeff Bezos our inspiring person today and let's have another break and I'll see you on the other side of that break for me it's always been important to give back and help others which is why I've made education material available for free at DamienAndrews.com. You can learn the skills of how to be a great leader, or how to be more innovative, how to be a great presenter, how to hold effective meetings, how to get pay rises and keep getting pay rises, learn to remember names and faces, and build your confidence. Plus, there's much more. Just visit DamienAndrews.com and go to the media page. You'll get instant access. And remember to help someone else as well by sharing the material with them. Always remember, it's not what you get in life that makes a difference, but what you give. Visit DamienAndrews.com to access this information. Hello and welcome back. And now we're going to move into question time. And I've got a question here from David in Barcelona. Hello, David. And um, it's wonderful to have you and to all our Spanish listeners out there. And and what a beautiful country Spain is too. Last time I was in Spain was five years ago and, and I, I did love it dearly and had such a, a wonderful time there. Although admittedly, um, there was one time I really wanted to go to one of the shops and um, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a hobby freak and <laughs> I went there during the siesta and the shop was closed. I was a little bit annoyed, but um, but it was such a, a beautiful country. So many wonderful things to see and, and enjoy that. So David in Barcelona, um, uh, next time I'm there, I certainly you know say hi and, and catch up. But David says, whenever I try to implement something new, my staff appear to listen to what I say. And then shortly after, they've gone back to the old ways of doing things. So I remind them again. And in a couple of weeks, they have gone back to doing it the same way they have before. So that's not an uncommon problem that you've got there, David. This is very, very common for business. Um, what business leaders face day to day when implement, implementing innovation or any form of change, you're, you're dealing with change, and many people don't like change. They just don't like. They fear it. They they're not sure what to do. They're comfortable with the systems, and people like to stay in their comfort zone. So. How you get around that, I mean, part of the, the, the resistance is more likely, there's two elements to that. Is one, it's changing a habit, and the other one is overcoming the fear to get through that change of habit. And if you can get through both, well, if you can get through the fear part, then the changing the habit becomes much easier, but it still takes time to implement. And I, I've experienced this a number of times, and one of the areas working with um, was one of the major banks and what they were doing they were setting up a new new office and I was part of um, the building of, of this uh, new head office uh, and what they had did, done was when everyone was moving into this new office the way that office would operate was vastly different from the current office they were in the systems that were in place had um, were changing significantly so to make sure that transition went smoothly what they did was they set up uh, a floor in a different building and that floor would operate the way this new office building was going to operate and then what they did was they grabbed key people influential people 
from the various teams in the head office, the older head office, and they brought them into the new head office and they run them through those systems. So they, they actually worked on this floor in this new office, um, how, of how that systems, all those systems would operate and getting used to them. And what they did is they become, uh, they become very big supporters of those systems and how they operated. And what that did was when they went back to the other office, the old office, was they were telling people how that would operate and how the new systems operate and how wonderful they were. So when you have these influential people going, hey, this is really great, then all of a sudden that anticipation of the other people builds up. So they want to experience that. And so when the new office block was finished and we finished that, um, that building off, it was a beautiful um, building that was kind of a combination of, of um, contemporary architecture and um, and, and modern architecture it was very very interesting design anyway the, the building um, was finished and and the people moved in and it was very very smooth transition because so many people were looking forward to this new experience because they'd um, they'd been told about it by these other influential people so the system that they set up was they bring in some influential people get them to experience it think enjoy it fix some of the problems as well but really you know focus on you know how these people are enjoying it they go back and tell the other people how wonderful it is and everyone's excited about moving to this new system so the key is to find those influences one of them is to find influences um, get them on board because then they'll share that with other people also experienced that uh, implementing software with a, an engineering company a client that i had the the problem well, what they were doing was they were using paper time cards, which you know in this day and age might seem um, archaic, but it certainly still happens a lot because the people on the floor, the the tradespeople and the labourers, um, they were still used to that system and they and they weren't wanting to use technology. So, wanted to make this more efficient. Wanted to use the electronic time cards, which basically was an app on their phone that they could use. Um, there was a whole back end to that, but for the the interface between the employees was pretty straightforward as an app on their phone. But getting that adoption can be pretty difficult. So what I did um, is I organised a meeting to to train them to show them how to do that. But it was I had underlying motivation behind that as to how to do that as well to get them to buy in and I started off by explaining to them I said look now this is a change and, and knowing that I'm dealing with predominantly men um, with big egos um, I said look I know this is going to be scary and I said that to get their attention also to um, you create a situation where they're then going to prove you wrong because I said this is scary they're going hang on a minute don't tell me it's scary. And I literally saw people sit up straighter and go, don't tell me it's scary. Um, and so they already had that buy-in um, because understanding their psychology and what motivates them. And then what I did was I took them through and I had a big screen set up and I, I took them through the steps that they would go through that could actually, so they could actually see on the screen, this is what we do and this is how it works. And I showed them all the benefits of how this system was uh, much easier to use and the benefits of from their perspective how they could adjust things quickly those kind of things that, that go oh, this is actually better than what we're currently doing so they could see they could see that comparison um, and I could see their interest growing as I was talking through that and I even noticed some people started downloading the app as I'm, I'm talking them through this which is which is good to watch and then 
I finished. There's, so there's three keys. One is I got their attention and, and got them that buy-in by saying, oh, this is scary. I then showed them all the benefits. And then I finished off with the third key point was to say, look, we're going to spend a bit of time going through this. We're going to have a transition period. And what we want from that is we know it's not going to be perfect. We know there's going to be issues. So what we want to do is get that feedback from you to what's not working so we can adjust it, make the changes we need to make so that it, it actually serves you better. So can you give us that feedback as to, to, what's, um, to what's not working and, and to how we can make it better? And part of that reason for doing that is it eliminates a lot of complaining because, again, a lot of people, because they're frustrated, they'll complain first rather than look for a solution. So by putting it on them saying, look, we know that there's bugs there. We know there's things that need to be um, to be worked out. Come and tell us because we, we love your feedback as to how to make this work better, how to make it uh, that transition smoother. And what I found interesting when I've done that, and this is not the first time I've adopted that process in implementing change, is that um, by the end of the session, half had downloaded the app and they'd had it on their phone, so they had already had it set up. And at the end of the day, I had a number of people come up to me um, and saying, why are we waiting several months? Why, why can't we just use this now? It's so much better. And, and so that's how to get that buy-in. It really highlights that you really want to, to focus on, on showing them how it's going to be better and also that, you're going to, uh, that there are going to be problems. Acknowledge that there's going to be problems and you want their feedback to, to help make that better. Um, and the other thing to implement there, which then was following on, was to get them into the habit of doing it. So initially there was, um, you know, some people, you know, they needed to learn it. There was a few people that weren't as technologically savvy and they weren't able to adopt to that and adapt to that change. And, and remembering that it does take people about 28 days to start to adopt a new habit. So allowed for that process, gave them a bit of coaching, gave them a bit of support, going, look, yeah, we can help you through that. If you've got any problems, come and let me know. I would go out onto the floor regularly and say, how's it going? Are you working? Is it going all right? Took me through it. And, and some of them, even though they wouldn't come and ask the question, they had a problem. So I said, oh, yeah, this is how you fix that. And go, oh, okay, I get how to fix that. And this is how I adjust. How do I edit my timesheet? Oh, you click that button there. Oh, I didn't realize that was there. And all of a sudden, um, you know, they, we had that buy-in and, and it worked really well. So, and this is where it's really important to, to get that mood going well because your brain operates 33% more efficiently when it's in a good mood. And this is how you get that adoption to changes is, is you've got to show people the benefits that it's more beneficial for them because then they're they're in that good um, mood uh, frame of mind um, and then you want to take the time to implement it so allow it to become a habit because if, if you don't constantly remind them they, they will naturally go back to the old way because it's just easier whereas you constantly remind them hey this is how you do it and, and pay, give them that attention they'll do, they'll adopt to that very quickly and then soon it'll be part of how uh, things are operating because that habit has been created so fantastic question there David thank you very much for that um, if you do have a question about growing your revenue and profit feel free to email it across to ask at damianandrews.com. So if you have a question about growing revenue and profit, email it to ask at damianandrews.com and, and we'll you know, get it on the show. All right, let's have a, another quick break and I'll catch you very shortly. I wanted to create something special for the people who subscribe to the Growing Revenue and Profit newsletter. So there are hidden pages at damianandrews.com. 
These pages contain exclusive material which will help you grow your revenue and profit, and it's simple to access. All you need to do is subscribe to the Grow Revenue and Profit newsletter. Each newsletter contains a link to these hidden pages. There are no passwords needed. Simply sign up for the newsletter at damianandrews.com and you can join our community. Hello and welcome back. And now for the main part of this program. And what I want to do, I want to do something a little bit different. I'm not going to give lots of advice here because the Innovation Genius program that I've created that's on my website, if you go to damianandrews.com and go to the media page, you'll find the link to Innovation Genius. But what I wanted to do was talk through some of the key points from that program and the action steps to take. So we're talking about innovation and I mean, innovation is, I mean, one, it's, you need to be a leader to innovate. So the action step that we're talking about, we want to, you know, your, your innovation distinguishes between a leader and a follower. So you're looking for ways that you can stand out and stay ahead of the crowd. And, and to do that, uh, you need to look at the processes around you and analyze how they work. So look at what's working um, and then work out where the problems are. So this is your action step. Go out to, to your business when you're looking around your business. Look for what's working and, and look for what's not working. Find where the problems are. Where are the frustrating parts of that process? And then write that down. And then look at, well, if, if that's a block there, how do we actually fix that block? So that's your action step. To, 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 um, to be a leader, you want to proactively go out and look for the problems. Don't wait for the problems to come to you. Look for the problems. That's your action step. Go and look for the problems and, and implement uh, those uh, solutions to those problems. The other thing is you really want to focus on quality. And this is where, I mean, again, improvements in quality. Quality becomes old hat after a while. So something that's a great standard very soon will become familiar, excuse me, and the that law of familiarity, uh, people will get bored with it. So this is another, the action step to do with quality is to raise your standard. So make it a process, make it a system to regularly look for how do we, we um, improve. And you pick one element, whether it's you can do this personally or in your business, you pick one element and go, well, okay, what is the standard that's acceptable now? We're working to the standard. Now, what is a higher standard? Ask that question. Okay, so now how do we get to that standard? And you implement a system where you go, okay, we're currently producing to this standard. Let's make it a higher standard. And, and then write out and then make that a habit and going through that process we talked about earlier in the show as to, to building a habit. But find out how to improve the quality. Uh, find the areas where the, the, what the current standard is. So that's your action. Find the current standard. Make it a higher standard. Work out what that is. And then how to make that achieve that higher standard using the same effort that you were using before. All right, innovate, need to love what you do. So that's another part that's covered off in, in my Innovation Genius course. You need to love what you do. And this is really important because innovation takes effort. You need to step outside of your comfort zone. You need to be in these areas where you're trying different things and you're willing to, to fail and to make mistakes. And so your action is, um, are you doing what you love to do? You know, ask yourself that question. Am I doing what I love to do? And list out all the things you love to do. So grab a piece of paper, list out the things you love to do, and then put them in an order of priority. 
um, if you're like me and um, uh, I tend to have a whiteboard in my wherever I am I've got one at home I've got one at the beach house um, and got obviously got one in the office write out split up make a column uh, two columns on one side just start writing out all the things that you love to do and on the other, you could do it on a sheet of paper. It doesn't have to be on a whiteboard. But on one side, write out all the things you love to do. Then the other side, put that in a priority. What What do you really love to do out of that list? And then identify, once you've got the top five, that's where you really want to focus um, your life because that's what you really love to do. And that's where, no matter what it is, you can make money doing that. So um, love what you do, very important. So start working on shifting your income to things that you love doing because then you're more inclined to to innovate. Having a beginner's mind is the next topic that we, we're dealing with. And what's having a beginner's mind about? Well, this is having that um, childlike attitude. When you when you look at um, out in the when a child looks out into the world, they don't know what they can and can't do. They just see everything as a statement of uh, a state of wonder. Go, wow, what is that? And they're asking questions. Well, how does that work? How does this do that? And that's that that mindset you want to have this beginner's mind where you don't know the answers a lot of times we go okay i know how that works and an example of that have you ever um has anyone said to you i know my mom said it a lot when i was growing up and we, we grew up in an area where it was hot in summer and, and very cold in winter and, and in winter you know my mom would tell me wear a beanie and i hated wearing a beanie um but she would say you know wear a beanie because 90 percent of the heat escapes out through your head now i'm sure most of you have heard that statement as well. The thing is, if that was true, if 90% of the heat escaped from your head, then you could walk around naked with just a beanie on and you'd be fine. The reality is, it's not that 90% of the heat escapes from your head, it's, it's relative to the surface area that's exposed because you're wearing clothes and only your head's exposed, of course, the majority of heat comes out of your head. But we don't question those beliefs, we just take that to be true. And this is where you really, from that, um, from that beginner's mind, is that you want to start challenging some preconceptions that you have. Notice when you start putting limits on yourself, write that limit down. Go, well, why am I saying that? And have a deep think about that. Well, is that really a limit? Um, if I could push beyond that limit, how would I do it? And this is what innovation is, finding ways around things that you believe to be true. So notice when you're starting putting limits on yourself, write those limits down and then find out what are those limits? How can we find ways around that? So that's your action for a beginner's mind. And um, the next point we're going to talk about is live your own life. Now, this is really important because there is no one like you. You are unique in how you do things. And when you really get to that mindset of, of uh, accepting instead of trying to be like other people and do things the way other people do do things your way because your way is unique it's not like anything else anyone has ever done before um, you have a unique way of thinking you have a new your body is completely unique unless you're an identical twin and even identical twins have very small variances as well so what you need to do your action step is to take notice of when you start doing things that pleases others um, over what's important for you. So pay attention to that. Analyze what's the driving force that you're giving up what's important for you in that situation. And because um, that way you can look at those motivations and really, really focus on doing things that are important for you. What, what is right for you? And that'll train you from an innovation perspective to do things your way and you'll find solutions that no one else can come up with. There is no one, if you operate that way, there is no competition because you are a unique person. 
Um, it's people can't do things the same way as you when you operate that way. Next step is to predict the future. How do you predict the future? Um, and, and I get that question a lot. But the reality is predicting the future is really about solving problems. Because if the problem exists now, if there's a problem now, and you find a solution to that, you've predicted the future. You've got the outcomes. If it's a problem and people don't want that issue, they want it solved, if you solve it, you've created that future. So predicting the future is actually about creating the future. So you learn to predict the future by analyzing and solving frustrations or problems. Notice where those frustrations exist in the world around you. Write them down. So that's your action. Write down and identify where frustrations are. And then select a frustration that you think might have several possible solutions. Not only a frustration that has several possible solutions, but one that you think might a lot of people might have. The more people that have that problem, if you solve it, um, the more people are going to want the solution and, and likely to pay for it. So the bigger the, the number, the larger the number of people that have the problem, the, the the better it is from you from an economic point of view if you can solve that problem. So predict the future, you create the future by solving problems. Focus on the positives. So we do that because when we um, focus on the negatives, we're looking at the problem. We're looking at this is the issue and it's difficult to innovate when we're focusing on the issue. What we need to do is focus on the solution. Going, This is the outcome I want. This is the issue that we've got. Now, what do we want? Because what that does is that opens your reticular activating system. This is the part of your brain that can see things. It's like when you can't find something that's right in front of you. It's because your, your reticular activating system is shut down or you've shut it down by blocking um, out what relevant information. So you open your reticular activating system by focusing on the solution and not the problem. Identify the problem and then focus on the solution. Also to what we want to do is you want to take some risks. This is where you need to have that courage um, to take risks because to do things the same way is not going to innovate. You need to do something, and when you're innovating, you're going to be stepping into new areas that haven't been dealt with before, and you're going to make some mistakes. There. You're going to have some learning experiences as you move forward. So there's opportunity to grow. If you want to put it that way, it's a much better way to look at it, an opportunity to grow so that you can move forward. So be, you know, have that attitude of taking some risk. Now, be careful with the risk too. I'm not saying bet the entire company. Yes, Elon Musk bet the company on on um, bet his last dollar on on Tesla. Um, you know, which you know, you can do that, but just be careful from that perspective. Be careful about betting the whole company on on one solution. Sometimes it'll work, um, but there's a lot of times that it won't. So take these steps when you're taking risks. Take little risks, calculated risks, but keep taking risks. And the last point I want to deal with uh, is know how to respond to failure, which is following on from that before. Failure, uh, if you look at it as failure, then you're going to feel down about it. Don't look at it as failure. It's not a failure. It's a learning experience. And I know that sounds wishy-washy and oh, it's a learning experience. But the reality is there's opportunity everything to do. And I think what a lot of people struggle with is that they have this expectation that you know they'll get this solution immediately. They'll solve the problem immediately. But it doesn't work that way. I mean, things take time. So, you know, these are the steps you need to go through to, to get to where you go. It's, it's supposed to be a bumpy ride. So know how to respond to failure. I mean, it's not wishy-washy. 
it's there is the opportunity and everything it's like well what didn't work what did work what did work out of that and then through that you'll be able to find um, the solution that you need and the last point I think I said the previous point was the last point but this one is the last point is be persistent to innovate requires persistence you need to keep trying you'll eventually get there if you keep trying so list out your objectives that you haven't achieved this is your action Mark the ones that are most important to achieve. We come back to that, you know, the list you created before of things that you love. Well, when you're setting your goals, what is the most important goal? And I don't believe in setting massive, massive lists of goals. What you should do is, is write out what are the key things you want to achieve. Focus on your economics. Focus on your personal goals, which is your friends, your um, relationships, what you want to give, what you want to learn. And focus on your fun and toys goals. And pick two of those from those three categories. So six goals. When you complete those goals, or when you complete one, select another one and work that way. You don't you don't need to pick, because you also too, you might find you make this massive list of all these different things you want to achieve. As you learn and grow, you might a lot of these might drop off. So why waste the time doing that? So just focus on achieving and persisting until you get the goals that you want to, to achieve. All right. So that's innovation. Hopefully that's helped a lot. You've got a number of action steps there. If you've missed those or you haven't had a piece of paper to write this down, just to rewind the, um, I was going to say rewind the tape, but that's showing my age. Yeah, just just um, hit the, the back button or the slide the slider across to the start of this section and go through and write out those actions as you, you go through. Okay, we're going to finish up with today's quote of the day. So our quote is... Innovation is taking two things that exist and putting them together in a new way. And that's from Tom Fredson, um, who was the co-founder, Freston, Freston, sorry, Tom Freston. Innovation is taking two things that exist and putting them together in a new way. Um, and from the co-founder of MTV. And that's really when we think about innovation. Um, a lot of times you go, well, I'm not a great inventor. I, I, you know, um, I don't know how to make something from scratch but you don't need to make something from scratch it starts with the problem what is the problem you're experiencing or someone else is experiencing and then start to focus on the solution how can you combine things in a different way to achieve a different solution so you're putting innovation is taking two things that exist and putting them together in a new way so look for combining and this is the part we were talking about making mistakes where you combine things. Oh, that didn't work. Combine something else. Ah, that didn't work. Combine, but we've got this little bit here that was a little bit better than before. Maybe if we add a little bit more of, of particle Y here, and all of a sudden you'll get this solution that, that works. Uh, so that's our quote for the day. Innovation is taking two things that exist, put them together in a new way. So that wraps up our show and it's been a pleasure to be here with you and if you do have any questions about growing revenue and profit please email it to ask at damianandrews.com that's ask at damianandrews.com and always remember the fundamental keys one choose what you want two identify the high impact tasks to get it three do the high impact tasks first every day and then face and overcome your supreme ordeal and that's the key one if you want something to change you need to evolve and to move forward. And remember, within you, you have unlimited potential to change the world for the better. I look forward to catching up with you next time. I'm Damien Andrews, as always, sliding elephants through eyes of needles. Mm -hmm.